not going to answer any questions this time. We're, we're going to dive deep into a very specific topic. And if our conversation from yesterday is any uh, uh, indication, I think you're going to give away the whole enchilada on this thing, uh, this content curation thing and how to build revenue from it. Is that uh, about right? Well, to the extent you can do that in a podcast, but you know, this is on one hand, it's not an abstraction because this is my blueprint for a site that I am just giddily working on. And I've kind of hinted around at it in, in past episodes. So this is the real plan that I'm actually following to create Brian's new site. It's not copy blogger media, just me, something I've wanted to do, something that interests me. I'm not really worried about it making money right away, but you know me. I mean, I, I haven't done a <laughs> something that doesn't generate revenue is generally something that I don't do. So I'm going to map out what I'm going to do, including uh, the monetization, the revenue aspects. Of course, you could follow the first two parts of this blueprint with any business model. And I think that's what's so cool. But let's talk about what I'm actually trying to accomplish myself. That'll make it real. And then as we go forward and I get this thing going, I guess we could turn it into an ongoing case study because as you know, Robert, you know, what did you say? You throw it out there in the void and then you start figuring it out. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah. I mean, you know, I've got a plan. Everyone's got a plan. Um, and I think it's solid. Um, but there are certainly going to be nuances. And the cool thing is because of this podcast, I'll be able to share them with you. So thank goodness for our meta teaching nature. All right. So here's what we're going to do. Title of this episode is how to use content curation to create a recurring revenue business. And it's got three parts. We're going to go over content. Number one, how to find it, where to look, the basic ideas around that. Number two, traffic, how to get it, uh, several ways to do that. And number three, product or what uh, can you sell? And this is really, it's really interesting, man, because curation, content curation uh, as a um, primary content play. It's an interesting thing in the in the copy blogger kind of universe and the things we've been talking about. So I'm I'm looking forward to going through this with you. I do want uh, folks out there to know. We'll talk a little bit more about it in a moment. But this episode is sponsored by the Rainmaker platform. You can find more about that at rainmakerplatform.com. All right, Brian. Let's get into the first part of this, which is content. What kind of content are we talking about when we're looking to make content curation the centerpiece of a business model online? Well, of course, you know that we are huge advocates for original, compelling, audience-driven content, right? So I'm not going to say that I've changed my mind. Copyblogger is not switching to a curation model, um, but for my next project, it is something that I am more interested in than just straight up start a blog or start a podcast or, or whatever the case may be. And I think, you know, you talk about content shock or all this stuff, and that's kind of irrelevant because the great volume of content out there is invisible. It's not worth seeing. That's not the issue. What I'm seeing, though, is there is a lot of good content in just about any topical area you could think of. And even, you know, taking 
an intersection, which is one of our favorite positioning strategies where you kind of match up, you know, copywriting and blogging and you get a site called copy blogger. <laughs> uh, that's just a cheap example for you. But, you know, finding an editorial angle like we talked about last time in a profitable and competitive niche, which means people are selling stuff there already. So when you look around and you look at uh, the, the amount of, of really good uh, articles that are kind of lost in the mass of mediocrity and, and all the really good podcast episodes that are just – no one's going to find yeah. them because that's like a full-time job. So this this is the job of the curator and there really is an opportunity here because – you can still build an audience as long as you are creating the value. And here you're creating the value by finding the best, eliminating the dreck, and sending that to people. And that's your value proposition. You're basically saying, look, you're interested in whatever, you know, uh, whatever the topic may be, whatever the intersection of topics may be. But, you know, you can't subscribe to everything. You don't want to, you know, let my inbox get filled up with everything and I'll pick the stuff for you. So that's the value, and I think where we're at online right now, that value proposition properly stated and executed on, can you can build an audience with that, right? Yeah. I mean, if you're the one who's getting to send the email to 1,000 people, 10,000 people, whatever the case may be, you know, in some of these areas, the audience size is great as long as you establish that let me, a real human being, do the hard work of ferreting this stuff out for you, and I will give it to you in my own unique way, in essence, creating a unique piece of content out of other people's, you know, your, your explanation of, of each of these. So at the center of it, you're building an audience, and how are you building that audience, and what form? Permission-based email you know, this goes all the way back to Seth Godin in 99. It's still true today. If you can command that attention by providing that value and being invited into the inbox, that gives you the opportunity to make a relevant offer that is more likely to be accepted. And we'll get to that part as we progress through here. Yeah, let me, so two things that come to mind real quick. Number one, um, a couple of examples uh, that we've talked about in the past. Well, let me start with actually number one, our last episode, which I'll link up to in the show notes here, how to find a great topic to work with. Um, we did, uh, that was all the last episode was about. So you can go back, listen to that, um, kind of find a starting point as we talk about uh, topic and market in uh, this episode. But number two, a couple of examples of what we're talking about here don't necessarily match up with the revenue side of things, but just great examples of people finding and uh, publishing great curated content. Um, Dave Pell at nextdraft.com. We've talked about him before. Maria Popova at brainpickings.org. And uh, Jason Hershorn at mediaredefined.com. Yes. You can check those folks out to kind of see what this can look like from a content gathering and distributing distribution sense. And like Brian just said, you just said, we'll we'll talk about the revenue later. But those will give you a good idea. But Brian makes a distinction here. You you do in terms of distribution. Right now, at this point in time, email is key in terms of distribution. And and not that you don't use other tools, but the centerpiece of how you want to build 
this audience is around the email list. Why is that? Well, like I mentioned a few minutes ago, you know, I mean, that's still the primary transaction medium for selling stuff. Um, and you have to earn the permission in the first place to, to get them on the list up through your value proposition, which is the curation. Um, and then you have to earn the right to make an offer, um, whether that in the early days that could be relevant affiliate offers. You know, that's a great way to start generating revenue. It's not the best way long term because it's you're not getting the customer. And obviously that's not a recurring model. That's a transactional model unless you tap into a program that is subscription based. But the point being that that's where transactions continue to happen 40 times greater than social media. And that's also, if you have the trust and the value proposition, that's where you're going to get the most attention. People do pay attention in their inbox, which is why they're so jealous about who they let in there, right? Yep. All right. So let's move on to what are you talking about here specifically for this project that you mentioned? Well, you know, I'm not going to talk specifically about my project until I launch it and it's not quite there yet. So I'd rather kind of give an example of a topical market, uh, give you an example of, of how a site that is creating original content uh, is executing on that market, and then letting you see that with the mass volume of content just from one site, and you've got an entire market segment, an entire universe of people creating content aimed at this market, and how by you paying attention to all of that and picking out the very best from the filler, how you can create a publication that has this value. So last episode, I mentioned in passing this market segment called LOHAS. That stands for Lifestyles of Health and Sustainability. Horrible acronym. LOHAS. Of course. Yellow LOHAS. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it goes back to around 2000, 2003, where this mar- huge market segment was identified of people who are interested in in personal development, health and wellness, but it's all kind of tied together with this sustainable green uh, focus. And these are yeah. well-educated, affluent people that they all live in Portland. Well, they live in Portland, they live in Boulder, but increasingly what you're seeing um, as the millennial generation comes into its own, they're just kind of this way by default. I'm not saying every millennial is is like this, but it's not strange to them to think that way, right? And of course, they're beginning to, um, they're definitely educated, hopefully um, accruing revenue. So anyway, Lojas, it's it's a it's billions and billions of dollars of people who are interested in this very kind of self-improvement, both physical and mental, but all wrapped up in, I'm going to spend money. I'm going to invest in companies that are green. I'm going to support uh, organic and sustainable and green building and, and all this kind of stuff. It's a very well-defined group. So there's a site called mindbodygreen.com. Cranks out content like you wouldn't believe. But can you see how transparently matched that is to the Lojas market segment? That's just straight up positioning and it works because those things, mind, body, green, are the primary aspects of that market segment. 
just an example. So you go to that site and you know that they're 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 like Huffington Post in the level of of content they're creating. They got like a thousand contributors. I think most of the people write for free. It's that kind of classic model where um, the publisher is getting the benefit of providing access to an audience, and then the, the contributors are are creating the content. That's one site in this area. You can find many, 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 many more. And there's good stuff. Some of the stuff on Mind Body Green is good. And some of it is just dreck. <laughs> it's just kind of filler. You know, it's not inspired. So you can see, just with this example, you've already identified a huge profitable market segment where people have money and they spend money. Step number one. Number two, you found a site that is going directly after that market. And then three, from there, you start looking around and finding the other content producers that you can begin to curate from. And then your value proposition is, hey, there's all this great stuff out here. Some of it's not so great. Some of it's spectacular. I do the job for you, of sending you only the great stuff with perspective, with uh, maybe, you know, if it, if it say it's a health or wellness topic, and the article makes an assertion about a new research study, and then you go and do a little bit of research and provide your own perspective. That's how you create original content out of someone else's base content. So that's just a very concrete example of where here's a market, here's how one site is going directly after it, and then that's my starting point for finding all these other sites and all these other podcasts and all these videos, right? Think multimedia, not just articles, because yep. eventually all you're doing is linking and embedding and you're, you're curating. It's, it's actually a very powerful thing. Another side of this that I've come to hear several times recently is that in terms of the finding of good stuff – um, Jim Kudal at kudal.com. I'll, I'll link up uh, that site in the show notes. He, I think it was an interview recently. He said they, they have a uh, uh, very, very simple linking uh, link blog running down. He calls it the spine of their website. And they're talking about design and film and things related to their business and what they do. But that link blog uh, was started in uh, Halloween of 1999. And he said, not long after, I mean, that's kind of the centerpiece of what has allowed them to launch other products, uh, went into this great description of, of what it's done for them. But one one thing that came of that as well is that people send them great stuff all the time uh, in order to post oh, yeah. on that blog. And I've that heard- is an excellent point because as you start developing, you know, what we like to call the minimum viable audience where they start growing themselves, which we'll talk about in a second. But yeah, they'll be start sending you material. Right, it, it's amazing. Um, Gawker is always done. Uh, all of the like Huffington Post, Gawker, uh, even BuzzFeed at the beginning were really aggregation sites. So they yep. took a little bit of a step above curation in the sense that, for example, Gawker would find an interesting story. Um, they put a better headline on it. They'd summarize it effectively. You know, no reporting or research other than restating the content. So that yeah. that's an aggregation strategy. But you notice, as a form of curation, all these mega sites started that way. Everybody comes after me with 
pitchforks whenever I bring up Matt Drudge. I don't give a shit. But he, in 1996-98, an interview I, I caught, was talking about getting up to 10,000 emails a day with tips. And, of course, that's the news business. Whole other thing that we don't necessarily recommend you get into. But, again, another example of when you become known in your market, in your topic market, people yeah, you actually to you over and over. You have to figure out how to manage that. Yeah, right. You know, exactly. there, there's a happy medium between doing your own exploration and having things just come at you. But uh, I can see the benefit of, of both. So the next thing you may be thinking is, okay, so all I do is curate. Well, in my mind, the way I'm thinking about this now is once I have that email audience that is you know, topically relevant, I'm probably, and this is just me, I'm probably going to add original content. I could see launching a podcast. Instead of launching a podcast and struggling to try to get an audience, how about you get an, a relevant audience first, launch your podcast, and then it makes a, a splash, right? Um, and then, of course, you could start writing your own articles. You could hire freelancers to work with you. But... I, I think that the curation aspect of this alone, mixed with something perhaps like affiliate marketing, could get you some revenue to where you could not only make a bigger splash with the launch of your original content, but you can finance its publication. Yep. And you'll see this both with Dave Pell and Jason Hershorn if you go to their sites. Heavy, heavy curation and aggregation, but they also have sections broken out for originals, I think is a common word that we're seeing pop up now, which really are just articles or, or as you said, Brian, uh, a podcast that's launched off of that audience. So right. this episode of Rainmaker FM is brought to you by the Rainmaker platform. And in keeping with today's topic, I just want to talk curation for a moment, um, specifically what's coming to RainmakerPlatform.com. There are two main aspects of any good content curation plan, and that is collection and distribution. We're uh, also going to be talking uh, revenue here later in this show. But uh, to do this well right now, these two things, you need to manage a handful of web services in different places and then bring them together in a way that makes sense for you. And one of the great curses of the web is precisely that, the management of multiple logins and passwords and apps that you need to use to make it all happen. But what if you could run every aspect of your content curation strategy from one place, one login, one bill? Early next year, the Rainmaker platform will allow you to do just that. I'm not going to go into great detail here, but we're currently building the Rainmaker Curator, and that is a suite of tools that is going to allow you to find, organize, and distribute content not only to social networks, but to the property you actually own, namely your email newsletter and your website. And that's with just a few clicks. And yes, the RSS reader, social media scheduling, and content distribution tools will be built into the Rainmaker platform. No more multiple accounts to manage. Uh, you can get rid of a good handful of passwords when we uh, launch this thing. Um, now, this is coming to the platform. It's not ready yet. But if you want to take a look at the rest of Rainmaker, take it for a free test drive for 14 days. Head over to RainmakerPlatform.com right now. Quit screwing around trying to build your website and managing all those services scattered across the web. Get back to building your business. RainmakerPlatform.com. All right, Brian, let's get into traffic. How do we uh, build this audience? How do we get people to... 
our property where we're doing this content curation. You got three things listed here. Well, you know, it, it's ironic to me that I started out in email publishing in 1998, and here, you know, just shy of 2015, I'm effectively doing launching <laughs> a site that is this based exactly how um, those early properties were. And back then, and some people may remember this because it was obnoxious, you know, people would forward email about everything. But um, those of us in email publishing at that time, those were our early calls to action. It was either forward this to a friend, um, get them to click here and and sign up. Um, you know, it so- almost sounds antiquated, the original content sharing killer app was email and the simple forward, right? But what do you see Dave Pell doing every issue? That exact same thing. We have content sharing built in without any of these (laughs) fancy platforms like Twitter or whatever. It's called email and people do it and it works. So you have to have enough of an audience to, you know, get that catalyst going. And that's the hard part. But once you get there, people have that, you know, forward button at their disposal all the time and people still use it. Right. So it, email is a social network. The internet has always been social since the first email was sent way back when the original social network. Yeah, that's right. So think, make sure that you're not forgetting to ask your primary call to action in your emails is not to sell something to begin with. It's to get distribution, get audience power distribution. Now, thankfully, compared to 1998, we also have all of these amazing social networks and they're mainstream. There is, they're more mainstream today than email was in 98, even though that sounds hard to believe, right? But you have to understand how the internet in the late 90s was this shiny new thing that almost fell apart because of the exuberance. And now it's just, it is the fabric of our lives, right? Yeah. So in, in part of that, just with basic content creation and content marketing, you have to build up your social networks, relevant social networks. And, you know, a big part of that, of course, is attracting an audience. Um, you know, I, my plan right now is I haven't, um, launched the site yet, but I do have a Twitter account and I have been sharing content. Now I don't have any kind of following cause I never told anyone about it, but that's the beginning of my own curation strategy. I'm selecting the type of content that I think fits and I'm effectively preserving it in a Twitter feed. At which point when I launch the site, I will be creating an issue. That's I'm talking about this in terms of newsletter, right? Yep. Issue back to email. Right, right. So you're creating an issue, which is original content that is driven by the things you, you've discovered, consumed, and are summarizing and or commenting on. Um, so then I will use social media, obviously, to tweet the, the issues, um, you know, share the issues. Of course, the site will be designed to maximize that opt-in at the bottom of the issue and at the top of the issue, everyone will always be reminded, Hey, if you enjoyed this, you know, don't, don't rely on Twitter. Make sure I send it to you just once a week, all the good stuff, none of the fluff, right? So social networks, 
are still fantastic for um, content distribution um, and also relationship building. When you share a, a content creator's content, let them know. You know, you're building allies. You're building relationships. This can open a lot of doors for you. Now, you know, do, reading about Dave Pell and the and the power he has, or or Jason Hirshhorn, right? You know, people want to be featured in yeah. media redef, right? Yeah. Like when we get mentioned, I'm like giddy. Yeah. You know, I just think it's fantastic. So, and this it, goes. It, it's like on, on steroids, but remember the days when you showed up on somebody's, you know, blog roll in their, uh, the sidebar right. of their blog, those it's coming back in a much more powerful uh, and relevant and useful way for the audience. Right. Right. Okay. So that, you know, social media, you, you understand that you have to build up those networks to get any kind of exposure. Um, but I led with email forwards and those call to actions within issue because, I think sometimes people just forget how easy that is to share, yep. you know? I also uh, don't want to run over something else you said. You're actually using Twitter as a, an organization tool for that content to be, to use again later. Yeah, that, that, that is exactly right. You know, why would I put links in a Google doc when I can put them out there right. and slowly attract some people, right? Without, without really trying, but as a, as a organizational approach, it, it has benefits beyond the fact that I just look at what I found each day, scan down the, the feed, and I could pull out the 10 things I want to talk about in yep. an issue, right? Yep. So that's what I'm doing so far. If, if it gets more complicated, then you know, I have to look at other solutions, but you know, there's all this fancy, uh, there's some software called Curata. I'm going to check out it's expensive. So I probably won't be recommending it to you guys, even if I did it. But sometimes I just think the tools aren't all that necessary that it's really no. s more simple than, than we want to let it be. You know, it's like finding good stuff, preserving it, revisiting it later in order to decide, which of these 15 things I found this week that I actually want to pare down to the best eight or 10 things. Yeah, right? you're right. Come on. This is not brain surgery here. Uh, <sighs> two, two things in particular, real quick. I use Twitter lists to do this. So, um, uh, through a Twitter list, just set one up and then follow a bunch of people on that list. So it's not in your mainstream. So it gets buried. Um, and that is a great way to keep up with particular sites or people who are, in, in this market that you're, you're looking to target, or what about going back to old, good old fashioned RSS reader? Uh, I personally haven't done that in a while, but that's just, I use, I use RSS to find stuff. I've got a yeah. pretty big list and then I follow people on Twitter with that account that I'm actually yeah, right. posting to, to find stories that way. But yeah, I mean, RSS may not have ca caught on with normal people, but we're not normal people. If you're a curator, <laughs> You want RSS. You want all the feeds you can get, literally, in order to find the cool stuff, yeah. right? And, and the the thing to me that I don't—it's so obvious—but the light bulb went off because I've got all these RSS feeds of primarily text-based content, and then I started looking into all the podcasts, and I'm like, there's some really great stuff here. But who, you know, who has time to do this as an end user? Yep. And that's what continues to get me excited about, you know, the need for this. But we, you've got to find a way to get the word out there because when you're creating original content, 
let's say you're completely unknown, like I was with Copyblogger. First three months were pretty lonely. Got a couple of links that kept me going. But it wasn't until I created this original piece of content, this PDF report, that it blew up huge. I mean, that is the power of original content. So with curation, you don't necessarily have that, although you could strategically, for example, say you're curating for three months, you're slowly building that audience. It's not a home run, but you've gleaned some insights that would make an incredible infographic, right? So you invest in the infographic at that point, and then you promote that thing like crazy, and maybe that is your moment, you know? So again, doing original content is not necessarily required, but if, if you're struggling a little bit, it can be the catalyst. Now, here's what I really want you to focus on, though, with original content guest posting. So you're, this is like, this is probably so counterintuitive to people given that we always talk about creating content on your own site. But if your main value proposition is curation and your original aggregation of whatever you decide to put in, put in this particular issue, that's what you're selling for free, (laughs) but that that's your thing. But you still have to be able to reach the relevant audience on other content sites. So for me, what I would do as opposed to creating original content right off the bat for my site, I would instead go out and guest post. Now remember when Zen Habits launched? Do you remember that? Yep. Yep. Leo Bobada. It's one of the most popular personal development blogs in the world. And Leo just went out like a maniac and guest posted everywhere he could. And that's how Zen habits became a thing. That is it's tried and yeah. true. That is what made that site. And I think he was at the time still working his day job. He was obviously writing an article or two a week for for the site or whatever yep. his schedule there was. But he was everywhere, and I think he said it several times that that's what made the site. And this is guest posting. It's advice that's been around for so long and you hear it so much that it's almost invisible and it's easy to kind of toss off and say, yeah, 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 yeah. Get, well, the get advice, and the advice has been consistent in that, you know, your best work should be on the other sites and that's counterintuitive to people. But in curation, it's totally easy for you to do that because you're not creating original content on your site. You're curating, you're, you're performing a valuable editorial thing. So Everywhere you guest post, you got to make sure you're getting what you need out of it, which is either the ability to link within the body, which probably won't happen unless you have a relationship. But in your bio, your bio has to be 100% focused on right. expressing the value proposition of your curated email. You know, right. get, get all the good stuff and none of the bad with blah, blah, blah right? You have to be ruthless about that. If, if someone um, is accepting contributions and they're not going to let you create a bio that provides a link back to your site, there is nothing in it for you unless they're paying you. But again, you know, the only, the only value of getting that money would be therefore to use my next tactic, which is good old fashioned, fashion? <laughs> good old fashioned paid traffic 
um, with the singular goal of email opt-ins. Like your okay. homepage should be nothing but your value proposition and in and an opt-in. And if and below that, maybe you have a sample issue and a link to an about page for people who aren't sold yet. But that's that's all you're trying to do. That is your singular focus. No sidebar. No, no nav, no, none of this. It's a, it's landing page 101, no distractions, one goal. Yeah. We've talked about this several times and I think people get a little freaked out about that whole thing of if I'm going to pay for it, I need to get something uh, cash wise back out of it, uh, in this page scenario, the audience and the list. I mean, yeah, that, I think that's understandable, but it's a little naive. I mean, have you ever heard of Noah Kagan talking about what they were willing to pay for an email subscriber at AppSumo, and they yep. built that amazingly huge list. I mean, it's it is an asset that audience. If you do it right, now you don't want junk traffic, um, so you got to be very careful about what you're paying for. But if it's something like pay per click or you know Facebook ads or Twitter ads, something like that, you have to experiment and figure out what that email subscriber is worth to you. But you may be shocked and how much value is placed on one email subscriber. So I I put paid last because not everyone's got the budget for it. But if you do have the budget for it, you should realize that you are definitely investing in a long-term asset. And okay, what if within the first 30 days of subscribing, you have figured out an affiliate offer that works, right? You're going to get your, you know, that's a way to break even. You may even make a profit. So it's okay to think that way. You don't have to be brutally uncommercial. That's not the the goal. But I I recommend affiliate offers as a means of growing the audience as opposed to the primary way yeah. to to make business. I mean, guy like Pat Flynn with his podcast and I think I'm going to actually interview him for the show, but I think all he does is make affiliate offers. He makes a ton of money. And you can get there, right? But I like to think in terms of investing in building an audience asset. That's what I did in 2006 with Copyblogger. It's been paying us every year since. Yep. And if paid traffic is not your thing, go back to number two, guest posting. I mean, it can't yeah, be stated I mean, time enough. Or, time or money. How time or money. powerful. What do you right? want to spend? <laughs> you want to sweat it out for, and that's fine, but it really does work. Okay, so that is the the three points under the idea of getting traffic, getting uh, the starting point of building an audience is through the email newsletter, you know, making use and and asking for that forward and then general word of mouth throughout uh, social media is number one. Guest posting is number two and paid traffic is number three. How about we get going into the idea of what revenue model could look like for this uh, content curation strategy? Well, you know, the overriding topic of the last several episodes is membership sites, um, some sort of paid premium content, right? Um, That's how you ultimately, uh, it's one of the best ways to make money because you own the customer, you own the relationship, you're building a paid community and there's a recurring revenue model there. So again, affiliate marketing is great. Um, And, you know, I think someone asked us a question where they said, you know, would you ever do affiliate marketing inside a paid member area? Yeah, that's actually one of the business models in teaching sales. Absolutely. I mean, how much you promote and what 
really comes down to your relationship with your audience. You know, I mean, I think there's always a judgment call when that happens, but anyway, I'm digressing. So how would we take this audience that we built with, with, uh, email? They're obviously interested in certain topics. These topics are things that people spend money on. We've already gone through this process. So let me give you a, a little bit of a, an anecdote. Back in 1984, a guy named Harry Marks and Richard Werman put on a conference. It was kind of a financial disaster, and they didn't. it went away for six years until 1990 when a guy named Chris Anderson took it over. It was a conference about technology, entertainment, and design. Robert, what conference is that? It's got to be Ted. Come on. <laughs> it is. It's Ted. It's one of the most <laughs> prestigious and well-known. I mean, everyone looks at where things are and says, oh, I could never do that. They don't look where it started. You know, the first year was a flop. Six years later, it's resurrected and slowly builds up. And then they, based on their success, I mean, I think tickets are like 4600 bucks, and you got to be invited, and it's amazing. When did Anderson take it over again? 90. So, so, even, so even from that point, it's still a long slog after he kind of brings oh yeah, it up out of Yeah, because wasn't it, I think it was like mid-2000s when they put all the videos online and it yeah, became right. a thing, right? That's just the benefit of showing up and going and, and growing you know, and all of a sudden you've built something and people are like, I can't build that. I'm like, you didn't see where I started. Yeah. You know, the same thing could apply to copy blogger if you wanted to go look at what that original site looked like and just me and a couple articles a week. But so that Ted is an example. And even Chris Anderson, what does he call himself? He's the curator of the Ted experience, right? So in past episodes, we talked about this impresario concept, which is an old school term for people who used to put on operas and, and other staged events where you have an entrepreneur, the impresario, who is effectively collecting the talents of others and creating something out of it that is delightful, but also profitable, right? So just like the TED conference is a curated experience that relies on the brains and the abilities and, and the presentation skills of all these other people, the same thing can go for you. And we've talked in the past about virtual conferences. So outside of my own little pet project that we're using as a case study, we're going to be doing various virtual conferences in 2015, business model level stuff, something that we know there is a giant need for, but is really beyond our normal content marketing stuff. Because one thing we're good at other than you know content is business models and how you structure something you know, between whether it be what do you give away for free and what do you charge for, all the way up to your revenue model. So, so this is it, leveraging the audience that you build from the curation into some kind of empresario situation that you've, like you've just described. So you've got the audience there, right? You're starting to develop relationships with content creators because they're noticing that you're sending them traffic. You know, you're yep. maybe you're going out there to relevant live events, you know, developing those relationships. It always comes down to that. But at some point you could take you know, relevant presenters and put together your own virtual conference 
And there are lots of different ways where you can make that happen. Say, for example, you've got people and you're like, okay, look, I'm going to put together this thing. I've got this audience. You're going to get exposure, but even better, you have an audience and we're charging money for this. So how about we do 50%, you know, revenue split on all the tickets that you sell or I know this sounds crazy to people, but it happens all the time in direct marketing. I'll give you all of the sales. I don't care because what happens when you put on that first year event and maybe you don't make any money or maybe you lose a little bit of money, but what do you have now? You have a whole bunch of paying customers. They're your customers, not theirs. This yep. is how people get ripped off by Amazon all the time. They're like, oh, I don't want to have to sell this myself on my own site, so I'll just go to Amazon. Guess what? They have the customer relationship. You got a few dollars. Yep. The customer relationship is everything. Let me give you an, a real-world example of this. Uh, Mike Stelzner, social media examiner. So I love this story because Mike used to write for Copyblogger. One day he comes to me. You know, This is, I don't know, 2008. Social media is just, you know, going crazy. Maybe it, it was 2009, but he's like, Hey, do you think if I started a site like copy blogger that focused only on social media, it would succeed? And I'm like, Mike, look what happens every time we talk about Twitter or Facebook or whatever. It goes crazy on that platform. Yes. I think that's probably a pretty good idea. <laughs> so of course that's exactly what it did. And it, you know, went crazy popular because it was talking about the medium that um, it was depending on. But some people don't realize now that Mike has this huge live event that he started with this exact model, virtual conference. He, got, he called in all the relationships that he had, including me, many others. He did a revenue share on ticket sales, so he was leveraging other people's audiences, even though he did have one of his own, but it was really just getting started, right? He, he wanted to make sure that he shared the wealth with the people that he was relying on for content for his virtual event. So that happens, but the next time he needs to put this event on, right? He's got all these attendees, so he markets to them first, to make sure he's got enough sales, you know, to cover expenses and, and just get it going. And that's all his because th those are his customers, right? Yep. So what is Mike doing? Mike is curating. Mike is curating. He's making it worth the while of the people who are contributing in a different context content, much like people at TED are contributing their time and expertise to get up there on stage. Now, of course, there's something in it for them too. And that's what you always have to realize that what is the right level of in it for them? Is your audience big enough to where that's all they need? Sometimes um, when you're first getting started, revenue sharing, something like that. You could even pay people for their time if it needs to come to that. Again, you know, we can't, we can't sit here and think that this is free. Either your time or your money is going to be involved. And it really just depends on what you have more of. So you're curating to build the audience and then you invest your time and or um, funds into creating a membership site. Um, Jim Kukrell comes to mind. He focuses on helping authors with their marketing and he has a um, membership site for authors but he's also doing a great looking virtual conference that I stumbled upon the other day. But I'm saying, you know, 
which which is first, the cart or the horse? If you do a virtual conference, you have all this relevant content, hopefully somewhat evergreen, and that becomes the basis of your membership site. Now, you're going to want to create a community, right? So it, we've been teaching and teaching cells since 2007 that the forum, they'll come for the content. They will pay you initially for the value of the information that you're providing, the benefits of knowledge, as we've discussed. They'll stay for the other people. They'll stay for access to you. It's hard to sell community only, and I've seen people crash and burn doing it. you got to lead with content. Once they get in there and they have this experience, they don't want to leave, right? So you could do the virtual conference uh, as a one-time fee, you're either collecting some revenue or you're basically sharing it with your partners in order to put on the next show or to sell the ongoing membership program, right? So that's where those recordings come in and they can either be the initial content or augment other membership content. So you can invite those original attendees to, to be charter members of, of the ongoing recurring member program or you just continue to do your virtual conferences as a form of event marketing. These virtual conferences tend to defeat that inclination of not joining a membership program because, oh, I can always join later and I'll just have more stuff at that time, right? Virtual conferences are, they may be online only, but they are events that take place at a certain time and whether or not you provide recordings to attendees or not. I mean, there's a lot of variables that you can do and you can take a look at what some other people are doing out there, but you get the idea. You're curating other people's authority, other people's expertise, and maybe even leveraging their audience. And that's the start to where you continue to grow revenue. And then you, you can make different choices as far as, okay, now I can really accelerate my paid traffic for the newsletter, which are all the prospects for the next virtual conference or the membership program. Does that make sense? It does. And it also makes sense to me that even if someone does not pursue this particular revenue model, you should be able to see here the bigger point, which is with an audience, with connections, you know, there's almost <laughs> anything that can be done in terms of a business model can be done. You know, people jump straight to, I got to get tons of traffic so I can then get advertisers. You know, this, this kind of opens up a whole new world based on real human connections and um, a real audience that you built over time that, that should show you what is possible in terms of a revenue model with this kind of, with this kind of business. Yeah. And a mega site like Mind Body Green that I mentioned earlier, they do accept advertising. But oh, they also, absolutely. But they also do virtual conferences and they sell courses because everyone is wised up to the, where, you know, advertising may cover uh, a site like that overhead, but they're making their money off of the member content. So yep. this is really, you know, we're seeing more and more journalists splitting off and making a living with their own membership site based on their unique insight, you know. But if you're not that person who wants to be the voice, what you need to be is the impresario. You're the entrepreneur. You make it happen. You bring people together. You have relationships. Now, of course, none of this says that if you're a writer or a podcaster that you can't just do it 
the way it's always been done. But I still love this leading with curation thing because it's just becoming a valued, you know, people are starting to value the fact that you're doing that work for them because they do want to keep up with whatever it is. They just don't have time. Thanks for listening, everybody. If you'd like to get Rainmaker FM delivered, head over to rainmaker.fm and sign up by email. When you do that, you'll also be given free access to two weeks of training that we think will change the way you think about online marketing. And if Rainmaker FM does something to you or for you, please leave a comment or rating for us over at iTunes. Uh, That helps spread the word about this show and is always very much appreciated by us. Brian, thanks for this one. I'll see you next week. See you, everyone.